There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Colin Andrews. That's me today. I'm joined today by Blair Howell and Paige Hilton. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, happy to be here, Colin. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's been a while since... Well, actually, Blair, you were on a few episodes ago, not that long ago, but Paige, I don't remember when you were on last time. I generally don't come on to record. I'm more of in the background on these. Well, you should come on more often. This is already a much more pleasant conversation than I have with Greg. <laughs> you can bribe me, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so today we're going to talk a little bit about this conference that I just got back from called Future Proof. Future Proof is a wealth management festival, is what they call it. It's held down in Huntington Beach, California, which of course is a lovely place to be, as you know, Blair. Yeah, I was at the festival last year. What we wanted to do today is spend a few minutes talking through some of the key learnings. And I am a little raspy today because I just flew in last night. And somewhere along the lines between going to a Dodgers game, being at the conference with 3,000 people and being on the airplane, somebody gave me a cold. <laughs> If only we could pinpoint who it was, then we could go back and create something. Hey, I'm leaning towards the lady who sneezed on you. Yeah. There was a lady that my sneezed money on is. me. <laughs> yes, at the doctor's game. She sneezed right on my head, right from behind me. You're probably right in that one. Hey, I'm not a doctor. I don't want to overstep my speciality, but I probably put my money on that person. Yep. <laughs> All right. So Blair, why don't you kick us off with this? Well, yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about this because it was a great conference last year. So I'm really excited to kind of learn the main differences and really kind of the, some of the major themes that they went over this year. Yeah, for sure. I think there were four major areas, four main themes. So last year, there was a lot of emphasis on crypto, as you recall from some of the presentations, cryptocurrencies. And this year, there was very little. I think there was only one presentation on crypto. But one of the main themes this year was AI or artificial intelligence. And I can tell you with certainty that in every single presentation I went to, which was about 20 presentations, everybody talked about AI in some capacity. So that was a main theme. A second main theme would have been around client service, financial planning, and being a fiduciary, which, you know, those things could be in every conference, doesn't have to be a future-proof conference. The third thing was around technology, innovation, and resiliency. And I kind of lumped those together. I guess we'll get into that in a minute. And the fourth thing was around risk, fear, and greed, which is permanent. Those three things are permanent. Yeah, those are interesting themes. I'm curious about the AI because that's everywhere you look, everything you read is artificial intelligence, you know, and, and in our world, I mean, it's, it's really driving market recovery in the U.S. is that really segment. So I'm curious what they had to say about it, how AI affects the financial world, how it can help our clients, and maybe even all these questions for you, what are its limitations or risks with it? Let's start with limitations because it seems like there are none. 
it seems like everybody I spoke with said, our world is going to change dramatically in the next three to five years. And I think that scares a lot of people because it's the big unknown. The key theme was that AI is going to replace a lot of technical skill jobs, but what it won't replace is human behavior, which actually aligns with that greed, fear, and risk area. So I think that that has a lot of people worried about where they fit in. But if you look back at the jobs we have today, 60% of the jobs that are in existence today did not exist in 1940. That's a pretty interesting statistic. And so it just shows that over those eight or so decades, technology has always taken away jobs, but it's created many more new jobs. I think the big fear, though, is that time frame. Eight decades versus three years. Three years. <laughs> Everything goes so rapidly now. Yeah. 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 Well, and yeah, and we've talked about that too. You know, it's really that idea of how quickly things change. And that's where the fear comes from is it's not slowly being rolled out. It's going to be felt immediately. Yeah, it already is. I mean, ChatGPT was only released in November and it's in everything now. Everything and people are already putting it into their business models and then just putting it through all these different systems without really any sort of regulation to it either is the other question. Who behind the scenes is actually regulating how we use it and in what forms and is it ethical really in certain cases? So the question then becomes, I know I could sit here and go over the fears for the next hour, but what are the positives? How is it going to help us and our clients? Well, I think it can help. What they showed was a lot of businesses are using chat bots now as just a way to do what they call just-in-time education. So there's been a lot of work done that shows that, you're not going to like hearing this, page, by the way, because <laughs> Paige has been doing a financial literacy program for know, a while. I was just thinking that. <laughs> but there was a lot of work done that showed that investment education doesn't always work that well. But if you have just-in-time education, it's quite effective. So what that is is like, Let's say one of your clients wants to get a mortgage. They've never had a mortgage before. They don't know the steps involved. They could go to a chatbot and simply just ask them, how do you get a mortgage? And it would filter the replies and give them the steps. So it could be quite helpful in some of those things, right? Yeah, I like that because, you know, for me, financial education is really important and making it more accessible for people, I think, is a huge pro for artificial intelligence. And you see that with a lot of, not even in finance, but in all areas of life where people won't do something because it takes too long to get that knowledge, that basic knowledge, and it's that... Too much effort. Yeah, paralysis by analysis. Overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess what they talked about was how... AI could be used to accelerate our ability to provide answers, but at this point, it wouldn't replace the human touch, that there's always going to be a way and a reason and a meaning to that personal interaction. However, a little scary, one of the presenters, a guy named Brian Portnoy, who runs Shaping Wealth, he brought up the idea that as it is right now, there's enough data on each of you out there that you could be replicated your picture, your face, your voice, and the way you talk could be replicated. Oh, like the deep fakes that you see online. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Anyways, yeah. I don't want to get too in the weeds on that, but... That is an interesting concept for sure. Yeah. But the other part that came up a lot, and I don't want to spend everything on AI, but it was a major theme, was this guy named Morgan Housel. You guys know who Morgan Housel is? Yep. He wrote The Psychology of Money. Which is a great 
well-recommended book. Yeah. Would you recommend people read it, Blair? Of course I do. I've read it a couple times and it's an amazing book. Yeah, it's really good. It's easy to read. And what he talks about is that you can find investing stories everywhere. And those stories focus on those three things I mentioned, which would be risk, greed, and fear. And that the problem right now is that there's too much focus on trying to figure out what's going to change instead of focusing on what won't change, like risk, greed, and fear won't change. You could have uh, AI-delivered chatbots. They're not going to change the way that you inherently think about fear. Yeah, you have your behavioral biases and they're never going to go away. That's right. Those biases, they're just a facet of human behavior, not a technical skill. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it's the technical skills that could be impacted the most with technology. And you already see that in like factories and things like that, right? But I was going for a walk with my wife last night. She was asking me about the conference. I said, you know where I see it coming into play is like, in the future, why would you ever need to go to a doctor? Like, let's say if you just had a, you're just sick, like you didn't need surgery. Why would you need to go? Like, couldn't you just go to a chat bot and type in your symptoms and get a prescription filled immediately at the pharmacy that then is delivered to your house through a delivery service? I think it would free up doctors to deal with more pressing issues. Because, you know, for a lot of people who do go out to a doctor, myself included, it might just be, you know, I'm feeling tired longer. It's a good way to, you know, we'll start with easy systems. We'll do some pharmacy. And then if the symptoms continue or things happen, then a doctor can come in and do a deep dive. And you want to talk to a doctor if you're feeling sick longer because that empathy. Actually, that's a good point. There was something that was brought up. I sat in on the Rational Reminder podcast. So they recorded a number of podcasts when we were down there live. So Animal Spirits, The Compound and Friends, Rational Reminder, and others. And on that one, there was a psychologist from UCLA. And he was talking about how nobody questions the need to go to a doctor. Why do people question working with a financial professional? That's a big question, isn't it? Yeah, definitely something that we've talked about before, for sure. What's the value of advice it comes down to? You go for a doctor with something that you know you probably could handle yourself, but you will sit there and wait and you want that expert opinion. And we're obviously biased, but having advice on your financial health is, I would argue, is just as important. Okay, that's a good one on your financial health. So let's get back to that second main theme, which was client service, financial planning, and acting as a fiduciary. There are a couple of things that came out of that. We were talking about this before we started recording and Paige, you were asking about education funding, maybe? Yeah, we were talking about parents, you know, they need help funding their kids' education. And what is our duty as fiduciaries to help them with that? What is the process that we need to go through to make sure that they're opening education funding accounts, RESPs, and using that apart as their goal-based planning? Yeah, that's a good point. And that came up in one of the presentations was that it probably is a fiduciary duty to help have people set up education funding plans. In in the States, they call them, I don't know, 501s or something. Here, they'd be RESPs. To me, I think it is our fiduciary duty to encourage people to open those plans. We can't force people to open them, of course. But we can use goals-based planning to show the impact of not setting up an RESP when you go to fund your kid's education, which I'm doing right now. I just had to cut a check. It's not really a check. It's a digital transaction. 
because my son just started at Mount Royal University and that wasn't an easy amount of money to hand over. So what do you guys think about that? Well, I'm sure your son appreciates your foresight and planning for his educational purposes. Well, I hope so. I mean, <laughs> we've, we were planning that from basically day one for him and his sister to have this pool of money set aside so that when the time came, it wouldn't be so painful. Yeah, and he can use it to achieve his dreams. And then on the other end, like Blair and I, we have younger children, so we're sort of on the other end of the spectrum of funding RESPs for them so they can achieve their future goals. Well, and that's where the experience of advisor, you know, we have clients and ourselves on all parts of the spectrum from retirees to younger people. And we know maybe things that, you know, somebody starting saving, somebody with young kids may not even think about. How much is college going to cost? How much is post-secondary going to cost? Are there extra costs for kids who may want to not go to school in the province or go to trade school or what would happen if this? And that's really when you talk about coming for somebody for advice is what you're looking for is us being able to see things that maybe the client hadn't thought about. So just goals-based planning really is what I hear when you say that, right? It's interesting. One of the things that came up too is that 75% of Americans believe they would benefit from working with a financial professional. That's kind of easy to understand, right? However, only 35% of Americans actually do work with a financial professional and only 50% of those 35% actually have a financial plan. And did it say why? Yep. One of the reasons was some people think they don't have enough money to warrant the work. Other people just don't know where to find an advisor. Another part came up around distrust or mistrust stemming from the global financial crisis and how Wall Street per se was really bashed as a result of that financial crisis and how that trust is starting to come back into that profession, into our profession but it takes time. Well, and I think it's us getting the message of the benefits of a plan and why you need it. I know myself dealing with clients and clients we bring in, it's, well, let's start the process with a plan. Let's find out. Well, I want to get this paid off and I want to do this before we do a plan and it'll be easier. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> doing the plan is you want to do that before you go ahead with all these major changes. Yeah, for sure. And part of that plan could be saving. And here's where I think everybody kind of gets offside by focusing on the most current shiny object. So Blair, if you were to meet with a client right now and you said, hey, we should really be updating your plan. We should really be looking at how much you're saving to fund the goals that you've shared with me. And then they say, yeah, but what about that private equity fund? How do you answer that? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> buying it. <laughs> well, it goes back to analogy Colin and I have talked about. You know, if you go into a travel agency and say, yeah, I want to go on a trip. And they say, oh, good. How do you want to get there? Do you want a plane, train, car? And it's just like, well, shouldn't we decide where we want to go first? Yeah. Or we decide what vehicle we're taking. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like that. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly the same as if, if you're talking about, you know, should I be buying Enbridge? You know, you probably missed the boat of why you have an advisor and really what you're saving for. Exactly. Brian Portnoy also talked about how we're not map makers, we're guides. And I really liked that analogy that guides guide clients through their financial lives and that we've moved from the Gordon Geckos of the world to more like a Brene Brown, which is going to sound kind of funny to some because I had somebody that called in today and 
they were asking me about a shiny object. They were asking me about a specific investment and it had nothing to do with their plan. So Paige, how do you answer that question when people call in with that? What people don't always realize or think about that I always point out to people is I feel like a lot of my role and our role is to sort of keep people on their plan, on their roadmap that we've developed for them and not get distracted by what seems best in the moment, but actually really just bringing it back to what are your goals and why are you even wanting to do this? Yeah, and this is where I think AI could be helpful. You could have chatbots that somebody could go and ask specific questions around anything, right? And hopefully that they would be able to get that just-in-time education. And you mentioned something else. I think you mentioned evolving when you were just talking about there, or somebody did. Somebody talked said, our roles evolved. Did you put that you, Blair? I'm going to say yes. Okay, yeah, I think <laughs> it was you. And this came up in the presentations as well, that the role really has evolved. You know, it started off a brokerage relationship, which was just like brokering a transaction. And that's where the term stock broker or bond broker came from. It moved into more asset allocation strategies and then went on to more fund selection and portfolio construction strategies. In 1973, Blair, you'll be happy to know this, the year of my birth, by the way, that's when <laughs> the first financial planning was actually started was 1973. So only 50 years ago. Much later than I would have imagined it to be. Well, I think it was just that evolution of brokerage to planning and it's continued and the focus is moving from planning to coaching now and introducing effective coaching techniques to be a better guide, to not be a map maker, but to guide people through their financial journey. And that wealth management is changing quickly and it's changing globally. And maybe that's the big unknown as you were talking about the next three to five years, how is AI going to impact that? And it's interesting because it's something as a team that we've actually been talking about and focusing on for a long time. I'd be glad to see that become more of an industry norm of the relationship with clients as opposed to the typical stock broker. Yeah. Whenever somebody says or refers to us as a broker, it always kind of bugs me a little bit. Like, I'm not a broker. I didn't broker any transactions. Yeah, they might not understand the full meaning of the term. Yeah. So Joe Duran is one of the fellows that spoke there. Joe Duran started a company called United Capital, which was acquired by Goldman Sachs years ago for a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) And he's starting another company up now. And and his big thing is about how the future is data and that AI will change everything. And that data flow is really imperative. But where it won't change, and getting back to that main overarching theme, was that AI won't change the importance of humans in those transactions. So it's just changing maybe how you are, participate in the transaction, right? Well, yeah, because AI has artificial intelligence, but they don't have emotional intelligence per se. Not yet. Right? Not yet. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is an interesting conversation in terms of how AI, and and like you said, you know, our technology has changed a lot in the amount of time I've been in the industry from research to keeping clients data to the ability to trade, everything's faster. And, but the constant is that human interaction. Yeah, for sure. And that how that man-on-man combat in those human interactions needs help, right? And that's where technology can help versus just like trying to solve things in a one-off scenario. So that leads to the third item, which was technology, innovation, and resiliency. 
And now technology is kind of like table stakes. That's a Greg saying, by the way. Greg always says that. <laughs> table, ah, stakes. table stakes. You need to have technology. <laughs> I never quite understand what he means by that, but I'll just go with it. I want to say it's something to do with poker. I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just a basic minimum requirement. Yeah, we right? should all have it. Yeah, and you see it. Like, did you guys watch the Blackberry movie? I have not yet, but I heard it was really good. It is really good. Yeah. And I remember those days. I used to love my Blackberry back in the day. The bold and the curve and all that, it went away. And it was because of innovation because Apple launched something called an iPhone that could just do more than the BlackBerry. And at the time, BlackBerry had a majority share of the market and now it has zero. I remember when it came out, I don't know if it was Bush or Obama had a BlackBerry and they were, I'm not willing to give it up. And suddenly they were. <laughs> yeah, suddenly you realize that your technology could maybe talk to other technology if you had a different platform. And I think that's where we're going now is that we've got to have this ergonomic way of having our technology speak to each other. So whether it's like just moving money from your bank account to your trading account or I don't know what, right? Like the future, as it was told to me, was that maybe your advisor knows your spending habits, just based off of your banking and is able to do some deeper planning with you based off of those things. Kind of interesting. I don't know if I want my advisor to know my spending habits. I know. I'm like, hmm, would I be okay with that? I don't know. Colin, you're my advisor. I'm not sure if I want to tell you my spending habits. I've already been looking at them Uh-oh. and asking <laughs> questions. A lot of miscellaneous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even just, maybe that's not a great example, but just how that technology interacts with other technology is the point. Well, and it can be so overarching the things that you can link together because everybody from your example has that spending report on their banking or their credit card. Have you ever honestly really looked through it? Probably not. Yeah, I do every month. Do you? Only because my wife hands me the printed credit Uh, card statement and says, will you review each transaction? Yeah, see, you're good. You're smart. But that could be something that could be done as a part of your planning without you even really having to complete any sort of budgeting. The information could be right there and available. Just makes things more seamless. Yep, for sure. For sure. What do you think, Blair? Yeah, I mean, those are all the positives. That kind of ease, we see it even in the last 10 years of budgeting apps that come out and some that will hook up to your banking, others that won't. Even the big five banks have budgeting software, I guess, on their online. So anything to kind of make you aware of what you're spending, what your budgets are. I don't know if it changes anything though, in terms of, I mean, it would help for planning. It might highlight certain things, but I don't know. We go back to human behavior, if it'll necessarily change. It's, Ever heard of the term girl math? Oh, I don't know if you can say that in 2023. Can. Can you? I've never heard of it. Enlighten me. Girl math is something that came up by women for women. Yeah. And it's a way to value what you spend in terms of expenses and budgeting. So it's big on social media. And so it's a way of saying, for instance, if I put $25 on my Starbucks card and then I go and I use my app to pay for that coffee, that coffee was free. Because I've already budgeted that in. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. And it's how you value things. And yeah, I was listening to it on the radio the other day and it was, it was kind of interesting. There was some funny stuff and it was a bit tongue in cheek, but really it was just another way of looking at how you spend money, how you budget. And I wonder if that. Because you've already budgeted it in, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. I get it. I don't know if the phrase that they use to use it is going to last 
Seems like you can't call out patriarchal. Yeah, I mean, we'll leave that one alone. (laughs) I think what it showed, and Joe Duran talked about this as well, that there are cycles of innovation, and there's spikes of innovation, and that there's small groups or individuals that tend to lead the charge in those to innovate, and that those innovations are then operationalized by the mass collective, and then that small group innovates again. And that change is constant. And I think the problem is that people are often afraid of change, but you have to evolve, you have to grow, you have to adapt, and you have to innovate. Then that's where the resiliency comes in. You mean, you have to be resilient, right? And things innovate so quickly nowadays, you have to be willing to adapt to them rather quickly as well. You don't have a lot of time to sort of think through them, especially, I think, post-pandemic. A lot more of like digital consumption needs have come out of that. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's changed the way we do everything just in the digital access that's now available. And I think actually, though, in the time I spent down there in sitting through all those presentations, a lot of those companies are actually bringing people back to physical work. Well, because it's the artificial intelligence, it's the human touch, right? So digital, remote, and all that is great for convenience and accessibility, but you do miss the human interaction of seeing the people that you work with. Exactly. Now, in regards to planning, though, I mean, Brian Portnoy also talked about how this digital way gives us a broader access to financial planning, maybe to those that wouldn't have had access before. So maybe it's those groups of people that don't think they have enough money or they can't find an advisor that they trust or somebody to work with, that this new technology gives them access to broader planning. Okay. That's all we got to say about that, I guess. No, I do. I agree with that one, I think, because there's so much personalization and shame and things around money that the more access people can have through something that's maybe not face-to-face interaction right away is not going to be a bad thing. It's just more education out there for people. And maybe it opens doors to them wanting to sit with an advisor for that actual human touch. Yeah. One of the things that also came up, I was listening to a conversation with, I think it was Cheryl Penny. Cheryl Penny runs Dynasty. They're an RIA aggregator in the States. And they were talking a little bit about 90% of Gen Z or Gen Z, as we would call it in Canada, get 100% of their investment resources from social media. Oh, that's interesting. That's pretty significant. So I guess when you've got the next generation coming up that will inherit wealth from baby boomers and Gen X, and they're getting 90% of their investment education digitally at the touch of a button, I guess it means you better be part of that, right? Maybe a bit off topic, but so when we were, let's say, Gen Zers, Gen Zs (laughs) age, where were we getting our financial information? I mean- I didn't have any. I was going to say, if if we had money. So is it just an evolution of, well, they're getting their education from social media, but eventually they'll- Okay, I need somebody to... Yep, I think you're right. Maybe that leads into our final part in our last few minutes here is the final main theme was risk, fear, and greed. And it's easy to say, well, I'm getting 90 or 100% of my financial resource information online when you have $5,000. But if you inherit $500,000 or you grow your wealth to a million dollars or some larger number... I don't know if you're so keen on getting your financial information from Snapchat 
Yeah. You know, I mean. <laughs> From Diamond Hands or Diamond Dogs or whatever. Diamond Hands. Diamond yeah, Hands. Yeah, diamond the, Dogs is Ted Lasso. Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> diamond Hands was the meme stock thing that you had to have Diamond Hands and not Paper Hands. Went so well. <laughs> yeah, that didn't go well. As a matter of fact, AMC, the movie company, their stock's down like 90 or 99% since their peak during the, the meme stock rally. Anyways, that's a whole other side. But the risk, fear, and greed is as... Dr. Daniel Crosby talked about, Morgan Housel talked about, Michael Kitsis talked about, and many others at their presentations is that that part's not going away. And so, yeah, maybe the digital thing is great for certain things, but one of the guys said, a computer cannot hand over a tissue to a client. Yeah, I like that analogy. Yeah, unfortunately, the other guy on stage said, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not as far as we know. Robot hand comes out. Yeah. 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 Be like the Jetsons. Remember the Jetsons? Yes. Do. Yeah. Just want a dinner. You just press a button. Boom. Yep. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, you guys got any last comments, thoughts, questions? Well, I'm just curious. You know, one of the, the things I really enjoyed at the conference last year was 3,000 other advisors from all over North America there that... You had to have breakfast with and lunch and just yeah. chat with. I was just seeing outside of the major themes from the conference itself. Was there anything that they talked about concerns or were everybody kind of in the same boat, just trying their best to help their clients? I think anybody that's there is a like-minded person as far as like an advisor. Like there's a reason why you go to a conference like that. And so most people I talk to are pretty aligned in their investing strategy, their client service strategy. And that was, from an investing strategy perspective, was there's nothing wrong with market returns. Market returns are good. And so every time you see like that flashy object, like private credit is a big one right now, private equity, private debt. The reality is that most private equity fund managers get market returns. And there's only like two or three that perform really well. It's not that different than most Mutual fund managers get average returns. So I don't know why you got to go into that. So that came up. And then just the evolution of advice going from that brokerage to asset allocator to planning to coach and guide. And that's going to be constantly evolving. And there's a big opportunity in that AI subset to really improve those things. So those are, were kind of the big things. Yeah. Well, it was nice being, you know, like you said, like-minded people and everybody was so passionate about their work and yeah, it was good to see. It's not a cheap thing to do. So if you're investing the money in that type of conference, as you know, Blair, from last year, I mean, you're going because you feel like you want to be part of something that is what you do. You want to be a part of the community as a whole. And it's so nice to meet people that have similar investment philosophies and outlooks to us. It is. And I mean, the lineup of speakers is unbelievable. I mean, Joe Duran, Jeffrey Gunlack, who's like the king of bonds, who took over that title from Bill Gross, who also spoke there. Morgan Housel, Michael Kitsis, Daniel Crosby, Josh Brown and the whole gang at Ritholds Wealth Management. That would be like Michael Batnick, Ben Carlson, Barry Ritholds, Cliff Asnes, the founder of AQR. Like, I won't name them all off, but I've named a number of them. I mean, these are just people you just talk to when you're walking around. There's something to be said about that. You're learning from them just by being around them. Yeah, that's true for sure. All right. Well, so we'll we'll do this next year at Huntington Beach. <laughs> we'll set up a do it live. Booth. <laughs> I think we should. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think we should. That means that you both have to come though. 
We'll see. I'm telling you, Huntington Beach is beautiful. I went last year. I regret not going this year. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty nice place. Okay, well, I guess that wraps up. Thanks, Blair. Thanks, Paige, for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks Uh, for having us. Thanks, Greg, for not showing up. (laughs) Appreciate that. Stuck in traffic. Stuck, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.